Hey everybody, welcome to the next episode of Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. As uh, I'm sitting here with Chris Yang in what we know at the restaurant as the Chicken Coop, which is our tiny little office, up collapsible stairs as we stuff our face with chicken-topped salads like the skinny girls we are. What you haven't learned in this podcast game is that people hate the sound of people eating. Oh, yeah. So you've like set me up for huge failure here. <laughs> so for Chris and I go back, God, almost a decade, probably more than that. I mean, I've I was this is almost five years old and I was at Encanto for 15. So God damn. I know that's long. We have known each other for a long time, man. So for those of you who don't know Chris, basically he is Dave. I like to call him David Chang's secret weapon, even though Dave won't admit that. I do. And uh, Lucky Peach, prior to Lucky Peach, you know, he was at McSweeney's. He was the one who like started with the newspaper, the original, that newspaper that came out that blew everybody's mind about food and changing the dynamic. And um, Chris was the first person I talked to about writing the Ophel cookbook. Um, Chris has been my sounding board for years. He's also the one who brought me to mad to spill my guts out, which was awkward and weird, but, um, <laughs> I'm psyched to have him here because I think he's got so much to offer insight because he's traveled the world, seen so much of the industry, what's broken, what's not. And there you go. Let have it, Chris. I'll stuff my face while you talk. How's that? Uh, yeah. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for inviting me into the, uh, the rat's nest. What is it? The crow crow's no, nest? No, the no, no, no. Chicken coop. Chicken coop. We're in the chicken coop. It's funny. Like, no matter what a restaurant looks like in, like, the dining room or outside or the kitchen, like, your offices are all exactly the same. It's just, like, you guys cram yourself into, like, the, the smallest space and surround yourself with, like, paper and flammable gases. And, yeah, it's amazing. Pictures of people. Pictures of uh, VIPs. Of which I'm not on this wall. It's ridiculous. Because everybody knows who you are when you walk in the door. You've been here enough, you ding dong. <laughs> um, yeah. Thanks for having me, man. No, I'm psyched. So you've seen a transition in food media, print to non-print. You're now working with David doing the podcasts, the all his different shows he's working on, the new, uh, the new media program. I mean... What do you see? What do you see as the future? What do you see and why do you think, why did, unfortunately, I hate to say this, Lucky Peach went away. It was, it was ahead of its time. And I think we've seen a change dramatically in a very short period of time, whether it was Twitter or Instagram or I don't know what did it. But, I mean, where do you see it going and what do you see as the, as the correction that needs to be made? Well, I think about food media sort of the same way that I think about food and restaurants generally, right? Like this is new territory um, in the same way that people didn't really think about food as being on par with music or art or literature or whatever, what, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe even less. They certainly didn't give a shit about food media and the stories that people are trying to tell um but like think about it the way you thought about like music coverage in let's say like the 90s or something right there were so many different ways to take in whatever you wanted to know about music there were print magazines there were cooler print magazines there were shitty glossy print magazines um you know there were message boards and there was like underground stuff like you would just trade tapes with people you would burn mixed cds for people like this is how that culture was taken in in so many different ways now with food you know like there are so many different means of of consuming it um and just like music like at the core of it though is this business right like restaurants as much as it is like an artistic pursuit as much as it is like a cultural uh icon or edifice or whatever um at the end of the day it's people trying to make money by selling food and like i don't mean that in like a uh a critical way i mean that in like a let's not forget that this is all a business and that we all got to feed ourselves and 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 that's a really i think one of the most important parts it's like people forget that we are ultimately a business 
we have to we have people that rely on us every day to that we open the doors they come they make a living but also the guests we are here to also make a guest happy and there's the dynamic of are you putting your ego first or are you putting the guest first and there comes that balance of are you an artist are you making the guest happy there's a mix and a lot of people can't figure out that happy balance or that happy medium of being a business having their dreams and vision on what they're putting on the plate, but also at the same time, making the guest happy. Yeah, and that's something that comes up <clears throat> a lot, right? Like what you said there is like making the, is, is, is almost in conflict sometimes where it's like making the guest happy or making yourself happy, right? Same goes with media, you know, you're a sellout if you do this or that or whatever. Um, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that they, they have to be two different tracks. Like you can be artistic and avant-garde and interesting, um, but if people aren't picking it up, if people aren't reading it and your thing is not sustainable, I don't know that that's necessarily some kind of sign that you're a great artist. You know what I mean? Like just because like I'm so avant-garde and so allergic to doing things that are uh, commercial or whatever, like does that make me so, like cooler than you? <laughs> like I think that I come from a background like I mean nobody – I feel like in, in this space is more qualified to talk about like doing shit that you think is funny and weird at the cost of making money than me. Like I worked for an independent publishing company that never made a dime. Like I, I, I turned down law school to make $25,000 a year, like collecting oral histories. Like we made lucky peach uh, with like math we did on the back of a napkin. We printed like uncookable recipes. Like I've done all of that stuff and I'm very happy I did. And I do feel like, we came close to, to making a living on some of that stuff. And I believe in the value of that kind of thing, but you've got to also realize that like, that's an incredible luxury. Being able to do that as a luxury. Um, I was able to uh, work for McSweeney's work for lucky peach for in and live in San Francisco, the most fucking expensive place in the known universe. I'll tell you very honestly, because like, my parents have money and I, you know, if I was short on rent, I could call my mom and be like, Hey, you know, can, can you send me a few hundred dollars, you know? And like my mom used to like, just a quick sidetrack. She would just like worry about me so much. And she would like, she, you know, there's not a lot of like panhandlers in South orange County, but every time she would see one, she would give them like $20 because she was like, that could be my son. And I was like, that's just, <laughs> that's just not true mom. But like, but this in her is, mind, in her you're, mind, was you're living thing. in San Francisco. You're 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 following your dream. You're making like this ridiculous yet what in her mind it's like how is he going to make a living? And now let's take this into in into bigger perspective. You're married and you have a child. Yeah. And that it's those then those things change in your brain. They change in your brain. You know, I don't I don't you know, I I don't want to make it sound like it's the fault of having a kid or being married that suddenly no, you like have no. these ideas. But I guess what I'm saying is, is like, let's all, you know how like a big, a big piece of language that people use in our current sort of culture is like being aware of your privilege. Right. Um, I think that a lot of the people who are saying that while they're right, are not even necessarily acknowledging their own privilege in, in being, you know, like we're, we're, we're like young people in media. Like that is an incredibly privileged sect of people. Like we, a lot of us were able to go to college or get unpaid internships, all of this shit because we had some kind of support network, right? Like I will never, um, like, yes, like from time to time, it's like hard to make ends meet and you don't like, you struggle to like do enough work to like, uh, pay for things um but like i've i've it's not even just like having the kid and having a wife and a family to support part of it was like this realization i had in my brain that uh everything i do is with the comfort of knowing that i will never be a panhandler like i will always have some kind of safety net underneath me to catch me and when you have that safety net you feel um kind of free to do these ridiculous projects i think that like it's the same freedom more impressive artists get 
from making this existential realization. You know, I talk to Dave Chang about this all the time. His his whole thing when he started Momofuku was life is meaningless. And if life is meaningless, why not go for everything? If if in the blink of an eye we could all be wiped out by an asteroid, then why would you ever not he always talks about it in terms of why would you not ask the most beautiful girl at school out? Why would you not do anything? That same kind of like freedom without the sort of nihilistic uh, attitude is is what I'm allowed to feel because I know that like I, I always have family and friends to fall back on. And, and realizing that kind of privilege also made me realize like, oh, I'm not actually going for everything because I'm, I'm by, by only chasing the kind of like weird, interesting, artistic publications and forms of expression i'm also limiting myself in a lot of ways does that make any sense like by saying like i'm only going to do weird stuff i'm also kind of like protecting myself from ever having to test the waters of doing something big and popular and commercial i don't think i totally understand what you're saying but i don't think that that's limiting yourself i think people gravitate towards you because they look at you and say you're willing to take a chance because, and the way you've just explained it, you have in your mind a catch net, right? You're like on that, you're on that high wire and you're walking that wire. And, and I think that's, this is the perfect, in my mind, the visual that I see is you are going from skyscraper to skyscraper across a little skinny wire. And you're the guy who can literally lean all the way to the left. You can go all the way to the right, but you know, there's a net catching you right there and you've got a safety rope around your waist. You're not going to hit the bottom. So it allows you to take the chances. And what that does is that inspires people to reach out to you and say, hey, but you being honest about it, which is what a lot of people don't realize. You have the safety net and a lot of people don't. And they're afraid to take the chance. But they reach to you and say, how did you? Where are you going? How did you make that decision to say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to write a magazine where half the recipes don't work. And there's how to eat a wiener in China. Like, and that was, yeah, you see what I'm saying? Like, and those are, that was all, that's literal though. Not a metaphorical wiener. It was a literal piece about eating wieners. And, 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 and I think like that to me is why people gravitate towards you. But also there's a trust factor that people have with you because you've always been straight up and honest and not a lot of people feel that anymore. Does that make, I mean, you're, yeah, I, you're I, truly one in, in my mind, when I look at journalism, right? You have been in the trenches. You've been in the kitchen. You helped open Mission Chinese food. You know what it's like to be in the shits. When you and I were at Mad Together, I watched you plate how many lunches, like you've been in the mix. So it's not a situation where you're pontificating on somebody's dish direction without having the background to do so. And I think that's why people really respect what your voice is because yes, you do do esoteric weird shit, which is awesome. But at the same time, it's founded in real, like honest understanding of the craft, what people are doing. And you've seen the variation from travel and experience. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I appreciate what you're saying, of course. But let me like rephrase a little bit of, of what I'm saying. Because, you know, I... I'm proud of the work that I've done and I appreciate you recognizing like the place it's, it's held in, in our world. Um, and, but I guess what I mean is I've never, because I've never really worried about um, if I lose my job, if I lose this deal, if I lose this project, I will be out on the street because I don't have, because I have that safety net. It also like makes you a little too comfortable. You know, like maybe, you know who I like, I remember when I, uh, a good friend of mine who used to work for me at Lucky Peach uh, named Priya, Priya Krishna, like people will know her now as like a huge food writer who, who has like a really successful cookbook. I remember when she left Lucky Peach, she decided, you know, Priya's not, doesn't come from a poor family either. But like when she left Lucky Peach and decided to become like a freelance food writer, 
she had a whole plan mapped out of like how much money she wanted to be able to make, how much, how many articles that meant she would have to write, what that entailed, who she had to pitch, all of this stuff. And she treated it with like the seriousness of somebody who needed it. And I will always like bet on somebody who like needs it. Uh, you know, I have, I have like, I, I used to write for the Chronicle. I really liked doing the articles I was doing. I thought I was doing a good job, but like I stopped because it was a pain in the ass. And like, <laughs> that's not, that's, that's hysterical. A, that's not like the hallmark of like a hugely successful person is like, oh man, this thing is going well, but it sure is annoying. Like I'm going to stop. The other thing, <laughs> the other thing is like, you know, I left the kitchen, you know, I worked in professional kitchens, but like, I always knew that I didn't, you know, I worked in there when I was going to school at Berkeley and I was like, yes, I worked hard. I, I did. I worked super hard in the kitchen and it was a hugely important, you know, four or five years for me. But like, I always knew I had a fallback. I always knew that like I was just going to leave and I could apply to law school or whatever. Um, but I guess what I was trying to say in saying like that it can be limiting to only do kind of experimental weird stuff is that for a long time you know as a 20 something year old writer or editor or whatever my biggest fear was doing commercial stuff doing stuff that was popular or appealed to you know like the middle so if you don't do the one thing that you're most scared of like that's what i'm talking about in a, in a sense like not trying to appeal to the middle was me playing it safe i know that sounds ridiculous but like to some extent that's what i was doing was like oh i could never do that <laughs> but only because i was afraid of how it would make me look and and that's what i mean when it's like limiting to only do weird shit <laughs> i i get it and it makes i mean it's it's a perception versus reality thing for a lot of people yeah too. well we really just went down an abstract rabbit hole yeah, right but I think here. that's, I mean, that's the whole thing about this. For me, this is like literally just, this is unedited. I don't change it. It's you, you know, you fart on, you fart on microphone. It goes out <laughs> like it is what it is. But I think to me, that's like, it's the honesty aspect of it. And I think I, I get it. Like all I ever wanted to be was the chef's chef. Like I wanted to be the restaurant that every chef went to when they came to San Francisco. I think that's exactly it, right? And 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 I dreamed of that, and I lived that, and I pushed it, and I pushed it, and I pushed it, and I pushed it, and then it imploded on me, right? And then I had to get out of my own way to figure out where I what I was doing, right? And I think that's a hard, it's a hard thing when you bury your head in the in the sand and in one bucket, and then yeah, I mean, you can become a you can become a servant of that one mission just in the same way that you can be a servant uh, if you're like a mainstream person, right? Like if if all you're serving is if if everything you do is informed by like I want to be the cool chef, I want to be the one who yeah. like only like all the chefs respect and come to my restaurant all the time. If that becomes your sort of single-minded goal, which is a cool goal, you're it never you're, happened. You're but... still... <laughs> It never happened, but yeah, where I dreamed. Are they all, where is everybody going when they come to town? That's like the weird question. Like I have no like people always come to San Francisco and they I'm like, where are you going? Where did you eat? And it's always like it's never the same. Nobody is. It's nope. not like not everyone goes to the same place. And it's always some crazy thing that I'm like, what is that? I've never heard of that. Not in like a cool way. Not in like a, it's a tiny hole in the wall somewhere. It's like some brand new space that like is serving something ridiculous and you're like how did you even hear about that like i've never heard of that i live here and i don't know what you're talking about well there's more and more of that happening and i mean like i give a list out when somebody comes into the restaurant like hey where would you recommend and i have a list of places to go for cocktails sweets coffee right restaurants that i think are fun and but it's crazy like so much stuff it's non it's forever like this this rotating what's closed one closes, fifteen open. Well, you know that you know that thing when you're like in you're driving through somewhere like Bel Air Boulevard in Houston or you're like in LA and like San Gabriel Valley or wherever, just anywhere in LA really, and you go like pass by a strip mall and you're like, Man, everything in that strip mall looks cool. But the reality is like most of them probably suck and like one of them is good, but like you can't really tell from the outside what's good and what's not. Um I feel like San Francisco is sort of like that, but larger. 
like in New York, cream sort of rises to the top and like everybody knows like this is the cool place. And then like there's a different tier of like unknown places. But in San Francisco, there are a few obvious like standouts where it's like, oh, I've heard of that on a national level. But I feel like when people come here, it's like they're walking into a strip mall and they just have no idea how to separate like what's legitimately great from a thing that kind of looks like it, but is crappy next door. Is that? No, I, I think there's definitely been a dynamic change in the Bay Area and there's so much happening and there used to be the standouts and now it's, there's so much you don't know what's what. Yeah, you have no idea. And I mean like- I can't even keep up. And and it's like, and I try, but like, I don't know what's, who's where, what's, you know. It's but like, this, is why, I, this is why people come and they like, I mean, how often do you get from visitors or people who like, moved here and lived here for nine months like san francisco, san francisco is not for me i didn't like it i hate it like everyone who doesn't live here or hasn't lived here for a long time seems to hate san francisco like that's my impression these days it's not an easy place to figure out i don't think no i think it's it's changed a lot i it, i think it's definitely changed a lot and i do see a lot of people that there's a lot of transient folks now whether they're coming here for tech it's not like back in the day when I mean, I moved here in 1996, right? And I moved from Washington, D.C., from one coast to the other coast. And this was, and I like to compare, like everybody talks about, like, why is there no staff? Why is there, back in the day, you would go to the coasts, right? Didn't matter what, like, you did, there was no major hotbed talked about restaurants in the middle of the country. You had Dean Faring, you had Stephen Piles in Texas, you had Chicago, but then where was it? It was L.A., San Francisco, Seattle, New York, New Orleans. So what happened? Everybody in the middle of the country that wanted to be a chef would flock to those coasts, right? And they would cook. But then they got tired of living there, and then they moved home and opened their great restaurants. And now you're seeing this proliferation of great restaurants in all throughout what they did call for years the flyover states, right? Right. And now these kids that were coming to the coasts in all these major cities don't have to leave anymore. They can stay and work for brilliant chefs in their community doing food that is of that community, whether it's Gavin Kaysen in, you know, Minneapolis, or you have Nashville, you have Charleston, you have all this food that's changed. And I think that's cool. I'm glad to see those things happen. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what the city's different yeah, the city, I mean, it's definitely different, and the demographics are different, and, and certainly this current sort of wave of population seems less sort of engaged with actually living here, because, like, you can work at Google and, like, never leave Google campus. Yeah, you're on the bus. You're on the bus, you you get fed at work, you come home, you get delivery food, and then and then you go to sleep and you go to work again, and your your whole social circle is built in there, and, like... Not to mention that, like, you probably got your job straight out of college for, like, the same... You live in a closed ecosystem there. But, like, my point is sort of, like, I don't I don't get crazy about that. I just... I, I think that it's a bummer to me as somebody who'd like to... Diff- like, fell in love with a different kind of San Francisco. But anybody who doesn't realize that San Francisco is constantly changing, that the history of San Francisco is that it's never one thing for more than 10, 15 years. Yep. Like is missing the whole point of living here. But like my question to you is you moved here in 96. I moved here in 2000. We are now like, we're old. We're old. We're the fucking <laughs> old guard. you like, you know, like there aren't actually, I mean, you know, you meet people who are born and raised here, which is our kids, which is our kids, which is crazy. Uh, but for the most part, it's, it's people who have either been here for like, 35 40 years or it's people who moved here three months ago and they're already looking to move out like we're a weird group so i ask you like why do you stay here and like are you gonna stay here are you gonna become one of those like 40 year san francisco people i think you know i moved directly across the country right i'm from rhode island and there was something for me about wanting to be here Right. Like I fell in love with it. I fell in love with it through the movies. I fell in love with it through skateboarding. You know, it always enamored me. And, you know, the Barbary Coast, the gold rush, 
that was the first incarnation of this city, right? It was, and I still believe that this was the West Coast melting pot of the U.S., right? We're a city built on sunken ships. All these cultures came. They brought with them their food. They brought sourdough. They brought gin. They brought the burritos created here. Let's chop suey. Hang time. I mean, the list goes on. You know. I mean, I'm just speaking to the choir here. But I think for me, there's something about the relationship with living here, seeing a city constantly evolve. We've now been through two dot-coms. Is it a dot-com thing? Now it's a tech thing, right? Now they call it tech. Don't say dot-com. <laughs> Whatever, we Grandpa. It. It's, yeah. it's, uh... it's We've seen the change, right? And I think evolvement is natural. It's in, it's in every place around the country, whether it's Manhattan, San Francisco, whether it's Houston, whether it's Portland. Things change. People find a city cool. They want to be there. If you don't want your city to evolve, keep your mouth shut. Don't tell everybody how cool it is, and nobody's going to come, right? Let's be honest. Right. And I think I, I'm i excited about involvement. I'm excited about change, but I don't want it to lose its distinct history. Like, look, we've had, we had sexual revolution here, right? Grateful Dead cranked out of here. We've had the dot-com boom. We had the gold rush. I mean, the list. We had the... The food revolution with Alice Waters. I mean, everything is spurning and it's constantly evolving. What What is it now? It's the new gold rush, which is tech. And there's biotech. And there's, I mean, the, the driverless car. Like, what's next? But at the same time, do I see myself staying here? Yes. Do I get frustrated? Yes. Um, I think the other day I saw something that really... I saw the preview for this film that just came out, right? The last, the last uh, black man in San Francisco. There was a moment, and, and it's just like this scene keeps sticking with me, and I, I keep bringing it up over and over again. Is he's sitting on the bus, and there are these two girls behind him, and they were like, "I hate this city," and he turns yeah. around and says, "You can't hate this city unless you love this city." Yeah, and I do love this city. I moved here because I love it. Yeah, you know, I I'm like, I can't. I struggle like I was just in D.C. and I say, man, the city's beautiful. It's changed so much. It's tree-lined seats, streets, free museums. It's still cool, but there's politics. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, I see myself here in 40 years. My son's born here. He's 14. Do I want to leave? No. Am I willing to fight to stay? Yes. Yeah. And I think, I'm, I mean, I think you are the same. I mean, what's your, are you going to go? I've never thought about leaving like in a, super serious way um you know when when we started lucky peach ching wanted me to move to new york um and i that was just i was so allergic to that like i thought i was gonna break out in hives <laughs> like i i just i couldn't imagine living in in new york i mean like i fucking love san francisco like it's yeah. a great place you know all the things that he was like <laughs> making fun of me for you know like oh you're just like happy and loving life out there just like relaxing and and like you know stress-free and shit i was like that all sounds good man that's that's exactly why that's, i don't want to like move to new york but it's the complete opposite if you really think about it it is the opposite and people don't people, that's the perception but yeah. the reality is we stress out just as much we work just as hard because we want to stay here yeah we got to fight to stay it's incredibly hard to like to to cut a little piece out for yourself here, and, and San Francisco is a tiny place, actually. You know, and and when you think about the parts of it that are really uh, people think of when it's when they think of San Francisco, it's even smaller, right? Like we've got we're the one place that I can think of where like our beachfront property is like the least valuable property in our in the city, right? So, <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I you know I. I've thought a little bit recently about whether or not I need to be in Los Angeles more because like a lot of the work I'm doing is based there. Um, but I, I don't know, like I'm torn. Like I, I, my kid is born here too. My wife's family lives in Sonoma. Um, I'm super happy with the direction that our, our San Francisco existence is, is moving in. Um, you know, we bought our house when you could afford to do such things here. High five to like, that, that's, dude. That's, that's like, a big deal. That's everything yeah. in San Francisco, except that like you can never move. 
Like you could never. You sell can, your, but just not in the city. <laughs> not in the city. You sell your place. You're moving to to the, the suburbs. But I don't know. At the same time, I also think I don't know that I want to. When I when I when I look at myself in in ten, fifteen, twenty years. Do I want to? I mean, you used to live. You lived in D.C. You were you grew up in Rhode Island. Like you've at least lived. I'm a lifelong Californian. I grew up in Southern California. My big move was from Orange County to Berkeley, and then San Francisco, and that's it. And you know, I've traveled a lot, and I've spent a lot of time in places. Like I don't feel like I'm a. Uh, I don't feel like I'm. I'm one of these people who's never seen the world. Like I've seen a lot of shit, and and I spend a lot of time on the road. But the basic facts of my life are I've lived in California for my entire life. Your blood's thin. You can't go back east. I can't go back east. <laughs> I can't go anywhere. And so like when I'm like, oh, I don't know. Should I move to Los Angeles? It seems like a really abrupt thing. Um, other people who like move every nine months are probably like, what is wrong with you, man? <laughs> like moving is not a big deal. And I've realized like maybe I am becoming like a weird, scared person you're a hermit i i I feel very comfortable in this uh chicken coop up here because it's so closed (laughs) off from the world Um, well i mean the fact is is we have to be comfortable with the fact that we're going to climb steep san francisco hills with canes and walkers (laughs) that's like that's always the thing is i uh I see, you know, the women in Chinatown, like these old Chinese ladies with like balancing some crazy pole with like 800 pounds of stuff on it. And they're like humping it up the hill. And I'll be driving around with my mom when she's visiting. And uh, I'll be like, Mom, if you had just moved to San Francisco, that would be you. Like, <laughs> what did you say just, to that? She's just like, he's like, oh, yeah, probably. I'm just like, you know, like <laughs> that's the that's the cushy existence of not living on these fucking hills is. uh is not really knowing what it is to be an old person. Like I'm, that's gonna be crazy, man. Like, I figuring out how to get around this this town when well, we're. Well, I think a with older. the walker, it'll be good because we can go down on wheels. We'll go pretty, you know. We can slow down, <laughs> but the going up part is I'm a little. It's kind of like skateboarding when you go down with the walker. Yeah, I, I mean, might just, just crawl. Handles. I might just become a, a permanent crawler and <laughs> make my way slowly. I think I think what's what's awesome about this is that, like, I, I don't want to leave. Yeah, I don't. And I'll fight to stay. And I, you're the same. And I think that's why, you know, you and I have discussions on a regular basis. We connect and it's, you know, you travel, I travel. But it's literally ultimately about why we're here. Yeah. And I always, when I'm traveling, I still get a huge sense of joy and relief when I come home. Specifically coming home to San Francisco means a lot to me. Flying into the fog. Flying into the fog. Um you know, it's it's not. You know, are there there are there? Is San Francisco the greatest place in the world to live? Like, I don't know. Probably, like for most people, no. Everyone seems to not think so, unless you have some crazy tech job here. But I I do I do love it. I just it's. I do you think it's just become my safety net? It's your safety net, but do you think it's also partially because where you grew, as your career, where it's it bloomed. It's like, I mean, I think part of me, that is part of my fear. Like, this is where my career really became to be, right? Like, I, I built everything working in this city. And I think you've done the same here. Yet, we both traveled. You know, you've been all over the world. I, you know, we talk about that all. I mean, you have more miles than I've ever seen. <laughs> I can't even imagine flying as much as you do. But do you think part of that not wanting to go is your career being founded in this city and yeah, building here and will it go away if i move like will i have to start all over again will it be like you know was it going to vanish 100 percent. that's that's sort of what that's exactly what i'm afraid is the case um you know eight years ago or whatever it was that we were thinking when when, when i was thinking about maybe moving to new york or people were asking me to move to new york if you if you talk to me, I would be I would say New York is the worst. You spend all your time just figuring out how to deal with life and go to Ikea and rats and cockroaches and like what a miserable existence. You're going to get shot when you go to New York. <laughs> <laughs> what a miserable existence. I mean, that's what I would have said to you. I would have said, like, you spend 50 percent of your energy just trying to stay alive in New York. Um, 
But really, deep down, it's it's like I know how things work here. I know that I'm trying. I'll try to say this without like sounding like a conceited dick, but like I had the feeling of being like a big fish in a little pond here, right? Like there's there's not as much competition in what I do here, and I feel like I'm among the best at what I do in this city. You go to New York, you go to Los Angeles, you go wherever. It's a much bigger pond. It's much harder to do it. I feel like, yes, my career blossomed here. And I got even more shine because I was the only one doing it here, right? You were... (laughs) You were the dude pissing in the wind in San Francisco. Let's just be honest. Yeah. Pissing in the wind. You're pissing in the wind and you were winning. And I, I, I completely get it. It's like, do I pick up and move? Or why would I pick up and move? Why why, would I do that? When you already know how the system works here, how things are going and how to navigate in the community that you live in and succeed. And, Will that change if you pick up and go? Like, is it you have to start all over again? Of course, and of course you will. And it's like no different than non-work related stuff, right? My friends are here. I know how to get around. Like, I know where my cool parking spot is. I know, like, <laughs> you know, what stores open when, what what bar won't be busy, where I can get this or that or the other thing. I've figured out how to live here. My, you know, I've, I'm navigating the school systems, whatever you move somewhere else like by necessity you got to figure all that shit out again right and that's my big fear is that i have not figured out any of that and i'm kind of a loser for not being able to push myself in that way both on the career front you know like there's a reason why you know i i I talked to you about this before we started talking on mike was like New York is the big stage for restaurateurs, right? Like for chefs. That's where the real, you know, legends are. I mean, like there are huge legends here, obviously, but like. It's scary. It's Broadway, you know? It's no joke. It's no joke. And it's scary. That's exactly it. It is. I I will say it 100%. Like, it's scary. And so by extension, I just don't like to think about the person I am for being too scared to do it and so while i love it here i I do wonder if i'm just i'm letting myself be scared into into staying i I know i love this place i know i i love it i've never gone to another city and thought oh i would rather live here that's the truth i you know i spent a couple summers ago i spent you know five weeks in an apartment in copenhagen like a beautiful apartment it's like three blocks from Noma, just like I knew tons of people there. It was the middle of the summer. It was beautiful sunshine. Uh, just That's the only warm time. There. The only warm time there. Just like natural wine coming out of the drinking fountains, fucking nasturtium <laughs> leaves everywhere. And it was like it was beautiful. Even then, I was not like I would rather live here. So it's not that I, I, I it's not that I want to be anywhere else but san francisco but i just don't like i keep saying this and i'm like i know i sound like such a a baby but like i don't want to be a person who was like too scared to ever leave san francisco even for like a couple years you know so i mean whatever this is i'm just belaboring the point now no but i think it's i think it's a valid point and i think it's it's being able to look at yourself and know that and i think that's the hardest thing for a lot of people at this point in life you know, like, what is the next step? What do I do? How does this work? And you've been, you've been so focused on what you're doing here. Just, I mean, same thing for myself. Like I put my head down and you work. And then you like, you look up and you're like, where did time go? Yeah. Right. It's like, okay, head back down. Got to get this done. And then you look your head back up and it's like three years later. And you're like, oh my God. You know, like. <laughs> It's a, my my kids going to high school and and I yeah. and you know it, it's 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 hard because yeah. we don't yes there's the fear it's like pick up 
okay, new place to live, new driver's license, find how to get from point A to point B, meet new people. Where does your kid go to school? It, it does create difference. But at yeah. the same time, everybody reads magazines. Everybody, well, I don't know if they do. That's your conversation. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> None of you read magazines. They all watch Instagram. Uh, if you're a kid, you were watching YouTube. <laughs> but I think there's, there's, there is the fear, and it's maybe it's our generation that we became. I, I, I can say from my perspective, I went three thousand miles away from where I grew up, right? And then I got here, and then I went back, and then I came back here. Yeah. But I have definitely like that's a big step. But now I feel like I'm scared to move too. As much as I say I don't want to, but like I was in DC and I was like, man, I miss this city. It's really yeah. beautiful. I miss how much fun it is. And I've seen the evolvement and the change. And but is that the answer? Or do we need to be here to help keep the community growing and strong and support our community? Yeah, that's a huge keep, thing too. You if do. we keep leaving, if people yeah. like yourself or anybody else in our industry keeps leaving, yeah, what's going to happen? Yeah, what happens to the community? It gets thinner and thinner. It's kind of like when the farmers start to vanish from the farmers market, and there's nobody taking over the farms, and the yeah. farms are becoming what condo complexes, housing plots. Where's what's going to fill those voids? No, I mean, I, there's certainly a, a responsibility we have to this place that we love. Um, I'm just thinking about like, you know, the first day of school jitters every year or asking a girl out for the first time or uh, taking a, a, a big test. All of these things that happen to us when we're young, like our, our life, our lives as young people are sort of punctuated by these moments of discomfort and fear and anxiety and like big, big obstacles we have to get over right emotional obstacles which most of the time we're like so tiny. they're tiny but they're they're big and meaningful to us at the moment yeah at the moment they were big and meaningful. Yeah. i remember having this distinct this is the most unromantic thing in the world i remember when i asked my wife to marry me i had this distinct thought that was oh cool i'll never have to have like an uncomfortable nervous moment again like that was the last one that's it like you know I, I was wrong you know there was like the wedding itself there's like having a kid there are like things like that but like it trust me uncomfortable is the gift that keeps on giving it's not like, going away i remember feeling like i f i did it i i figured it out like that's the last time I'll ever have to put myself in a position like that. I'll never have to walk into a classroom for the first time again. I'll never have to ask another girl out. I'll never have to like, you know, do any of this stuff. And it was like a, a huge sense of relief and accomplishment for me. And I realized sort of looking back that's like that's just the wrong attitude in so many ways first it's like the wrong way to think about like your your marriage but like beyond <laughs> that it's also just man all of those like uncomfortable moments are like you said like that's what the, that's that's what life should really be about is like pushing yourself constantly into new scenarios where when you're uncomfortable you learn when you're uncomfortable you learn and you you learn and to to try to like avoid being uncomfortable is the worst thing you can do really and so that's where this is all coming from like I, i'm just trying to not just like kick back and, and say no I'm, I'm comfortable enough right now and i think that like a lot of people do that right like a lot of people there's definitely the coaster mentality yeah you just and coast you coast and i think that is, and that's a really valid point because people get to a, a, a moment and then they sit and it's like, how do you make it better? And I think that's what I love about cooking. And that's what gravitated you towards this industry is yeah. the forever, ever education, the forever push, get better. Can you, is there a better way to do that? I mean, is cooking it, is amazing in that when you're in a restaurant, it's this, yes, Opening a restaurant is a big project that you, 
you plan out and you accomplish with an opening, right? But the act of being of working in a restaurant and cooking and and, and serving is a never ending task. There's no there's no thing where it's like okay, we're slowly bit by bit. Every day I'm I'm doing this, and in in 150 days we will be done with this. That's just not no, how this no, works. No, 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 no. And, and so you and like that's why I, you're right. That's why I admire this industry. Is like it's people who are the opposite. Eh, this isn't necessarily true. Like, uh, but like every day, the joy you get is from having the same mountain in front of you to to climb again and sisyphus sisyphus i mean i'm just like i'm stepping all over dave chang loves this sisyphus metaphor more than anything no but it's true you're always pushing the boulder up there you're always pushing it up and and Whether again it's like, the employee boulder the breakdown boulder the no delivery boulder there's a yeah. boulder and life is kind of boring if you just like push it to the top or i'm not gonna say the top like you find some ledge midway up the hill <laughs> <laughs> to rest your fucking boulder i feel like that's as far. i'm not gonna say i've pushed it to the top of the hill i pushed it you know a, a few feet up and you find a ledge and you're just like i'm good i'll just chill on this boulder now like what is the point of that that doesn't sound good at all no it's not fun you it's, know and i think there's that's what's interesting about a restaurant is it continuously evolves you have to push you have to drive to have better service better food better quality better experience i mean I, I say this a lot. Taste memories. Yeah. We give to, as an industry, we give taste memories, whether it's, and I'm hope to God, they're always the good taste memories <laughs> because when you give a bad one, they're really bad. Right. But that's a powerful feeling to walk away and just see that. And I know you've seen it in the dining room when, when a guest has that, like that aha moment. I mean, I felt it so many times. Like that's, that's an incredible gift to be able to give and 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 for for me doing lucky peach was great working at mcsweeney's was great for me because i got addicted to the same thing that i loved about working like working in restaurants which was you make something you send it out and you see how people feel when they have it in front of them like that's that's a crazy feeling i know it's like it sounds cliche to be like oh and it's just about the joy that you see on people's faces but like who doesn't love to cook dinner for people at home, have guests over and have them just be like, this is amazing. Like that's a crazy good feeling to say, to, to, to feel, to see people react to something that you made. Like that's the best feeling in the world. Like really it's so egotistical. and so like selfish to feel that way, but like it feels so good. And the, the thing with lucky peach closing that was difficult was not having this regular output where not only did i feel like every three months we were bringing joy to people and getting that kind of like ego boost of of people tweeting and instagramming about like the new issue or, or talking about it <clears throat> but like i also felt that other people were still making stuff and that's like the hardest part about like not having a regular thing that comes out is i know i'm working hard on other stuff but when you don't have like a regular outlet like you would in a kitchen to to see what every 95 seconds like another dish you put on the pass and you don't have that you you just feel like the world is passing you by i think i think one, one of the things for me that you really were able to do and you have been doing for years is able to articulate you know, that taste memory with your writing and the experiences. You've been able to articulate that. And not a lot of people have that skill set, that the ability to articulate that moment, whether it was with Lucky Peach or whether it was when you were doing the video series with Lucky Peach. I mean, you've always, you've been able to approach it in a different way instead of the physicality of presenting that food. Yeah, I think that that's, that's what we try to do, right? I think we try to both in cooking and in like talking about cooking is make somebody feel something more than <clears throat> this is hot and tender and salty and sour and it is uh, three inches wide. Like, I, you know, like the facts of these things are what we're trying to uh, exceed, right? 
oh. and not use all those <laughs> dumb, <laughs> continuously overused words well, I, like yummy. Well, I say this all the time. <laughs> Honestly, I, I say this. I say this all the time. And the hardest part about uh, part, hardest part of like writing about food is that there are only so many ways to say that something is delicious. Mm-hmm. There's not that many ways to say. Honestly, if you just sit there and think about it, like there's there's three adjectives that mean delicious, and they're all tired. So you've got to be able to talk about this in some more interesting way than than it it was it was good in my mouth. You know, like, it's, it's, it's actually funny. Like I know you're going to talk to to Martin Bicar, uh soon, and I was watching his show like the on netflix that wild chef show oh it's a great show it's, yeah. it's amazing it's, it's so, so good. kooky and like off the wall um but he it's like in a, in a very charming way the only thing he ever says about the thing that he's eating is that's very good like he just he can't the only adjectives he has are that's very good like if you just go back and watch it, if whether it's like a, a, a bull penis or a lobe of foie gras or something he's been cooking for 400 hours or or anything, the only thing he's ever described Mush, is shanks like, with, is, the hu- yeah, with the hoof still with like the hoof still on it, <laughs> just like a, a duck, a goose pie with like the goose head coming out of it. All of it is just that's very good. That's very good. Yeah. And <laughs> with the Canadian accent, with the Canadian Fran- the French Canadian class, accent, yeah. like it's so funny. Um, but like. But you, know, you can still gravitate towards it. You can because there's a whole story built around it. There's all of the stuff that you see around the, you know, the in the show. Like you know, if people haven't seen it. It's like, you know, it's all of these hunted or fished ingredients, and he's out there cooking with Oog like Defour out in the field on some like crazy. Stove. I think it's one of the best. I, me personally, I feel that it's been one of the best shows I've seen. It's like years. it's addictive and funny so rewatchable it's amazing i i watch it when i'm on the plane when i'm like yeah like this is gonna be fun it's just like i have it on in the background all the time and it's it's funny to me um because i think it's it's totally the case like why even try to be like oh that's tasty that's yummy that's delicious like they all mean the same fucking thing but what else can you tell me about it you know what else can you and how else can you as a writer i feel like my thing is to say to some extent, there are people with terrible taste in the world, but to some extent, like you, you can, <laughs> you, if I eat something and you eat something and it's objectively good, we're both going to realize it's good. Can I help explain what it is? You know, like um, <clears throat> say what you will about wine writers and, and, and sommeliers, but have you ever had that experience where you're like, uh, you know, you're you're smelling a glass of wine, or you're you're drinking it, and it's got that familiar taste. And then someone says grapefruit, and you're and like, "Oh it, shit, there it is." That's what it is. Yeah, like that's that's the cool moment that I try to like. And there's always that. Do. Let's be honest. There's always that moment where they're like, "Oh, I taste dark cherry and leather." I was <laughs> and like, a lot of time it doesn't work. But, but like, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. When was the last time you <laughs> tasted leather? Can you tell me about well, what you're doing like, when you're off work? <laughs> I, I, when I was um. When I was 19 and I was cooking in restaurants, uh, I was trying to like impress a girl and I was like, ask my chef, you know, what's the best restaurant in in San Francisco? And he was like, oh, you should go to Gary Danko, which was like probably the, you know, nicest restaurant in San Francisco at the time. You know, this is like 2001 or something and uh, 2002 maybe. And so I went to Gary Danko we had the tasting menu, had the had the wine pairings, and man, we were so in over our heads on this stuff. And the psalm was like, and this one tastes like a cat box. And I was like, or it smells kind of like a cat box. You're That's getting nasty. that? And I was like, oh, fuck. He's on to us. Like, he's fucking with us. He knows. He know, We got to get out of here. You know, like, I'm sure he's trying to be like, oh, it has like kind of that weird sulfury yeah, nose to it. But like, I was like, no, this can't be real. This can't be right. He's on to us. He's not pouring us the good stuff. He's just like trying to like the cops are going to bust in any minute here and like arrest us for underage drinking. But like, and it, I mean, like he's pouring you one buck chuck. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's like, uh, yeah, and this is like a DRC. But like, I, I think um, that's like that's the cool thing. Not necessarily just being like, oh, that's the flavor. But why is this so delicious to us? Oh, because of this reason, and this reason, and this reason. 
and, and what is it why is that meaningful like that's that's what's interesting to me about both like i said cooking and, and talking about cooking is is conveying something else other than just you know this is delicious because it's got two percent salinity and like the crunch is is this level whatever i mean i I don't know. I think that like that's what makes the job a challenge and a joy, right? Like in the kitchen, you guys put so much effort into every component of something, and there's so much thought into how to make the pickle that goes into the relish that's just part of one small portion of a dish, right? But cumulatively, it has to it has to speak on some different level other than like that's why the pickle's delicious and that's why the relish is delicious that's why this thing is delicious and that's why the whole thing is delicious like that doesn't tell me anything you know like the acid from the pickle balances with the richness of this but you don't want to like tell like, like have, you ever, have you ever been like told all that stuff oh yeah it's <laughs> sometimes when you go out to dinner and they particularly tell you not only how to eat it but why it's working on your like that is like yeah. the least my least favorite experience of having dinner. Yeah. The chef would like you to put your fork in it, swirl it around the plate three times. Do you ever, <laughs> do, you ever do your servers do this thing though, where people they come up to the table? You know that old trick where they come up and they're like, "Is everything still great here?" Like, or like, no, "Is everything no. delicious?" Like, no. I hate that so no. much. We just say, "Like, how's everyone doing right yeah, now?" Yeah, I mean, but that's like, it. You know what that's I'm talking it. about? Where like at the Cheesecake Factory or something, they always try to like trick you a little bit by saying. And is everything still wonderful here? Is everything great? And you're like, when did I ever tell you it was great? Like, yeah. what are you talking about? No, it's not. I just I haven't had the chance to tell you like, yet. Piss it's off. like the stupidest <laughs> trick in the in the world because you're like they're putting words in your mouth, right? But like, I'm not suddenly thinking, oh yeah, things are great. <laughs> like, what do you? Anyway, whatever. That's that's neither here nor there. But it's a huge <laughs> pet peeve of mine when, like, that's how I would try to trick my toddler into something eating vegetables yeah and it still doesn't work so why would it work on like a fully grown adult it doesn't work when you're a kid it doesn't work when yeah. you're older exactly <laughs> exactly so what do you see chris next for you like right now you're working on the podcast with david uh you're working on the multimedia platform with david yeah i mean we just signed this crazy deal to produce a bunch of television for hulu Congratulations. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, but generally I, I feel strangely comfortable in positions where I, I don't have a lot of background in them. Uh or at least in the past, that's where I've 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 kind of thrived. Um there's this thing called Google where you can look up how to do it. <laughs> I think you'll be fine. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> that's how I became a food writer, just like how do you write about food? Uh yeah, so I think that What's next for me is trying to tell some of these stories in like new mediums that I haven't really worked in before um, and, you know, continue to like accomplish the goals and the, and the sort of like priorities that I've always had. Um, being like completely honest with you, I've never known how to make money. Like I'm bad at making, I, I just don't think like somebody who knows how money works. Um, you know, there's like people who are sort of like naturally good at making, you know, like they just know how to make money. Um, I would like to learn how to do that a little bit better. Well, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> you know, you got to pay bills. I mean, it's it sounds it sounds really dumb, but like it'd be cool to know how to make some money. That That's a key element in life. I think we have to pay bills. We got a visitor in the I know. So coop. everybody. Yeah, we got a visitor in the chicken coop. Hi, Steven. He's telling us to be quiet. He wants something. <laughs> Who knows? Um, yeah, I, I don't. I mean, that sounds dumb, right? But like, that's what's next for me is is trying to trying to like keep my my kid fed and like like in some like weird closed close the close the loop on this thought. I presented the beginning like I would like to feel as though I'm somebody who could survive without the safety net of like a family and friends 
who have money. It would be nice to feel like a true adult. That's what's next for for thirty six year old Chris Ying is uh, <laughs> becoming an adult. I hope. I think you become an adult. You just haven't. I look, not reconciled. I, just, with I it look yet. like an adult. I just haven't. Uh, I haven't figured it out yet, really. Well, you don't throw temper tantrums, and you do eat your vegetables. So I think you're on the adult <laughs> level here. You're doing pretty good. You did have salad. It's green things. It's true. So it's true. I think you're there. It's just it's a low bar for adulthood, and I feel like I've I've crossed it. Eating a salad one time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it's it's. I think it, you know you being in San Francisco is a really important thing, and I, and you know it's been so much fun over the past 15 plus years being able to do stuff and see things and you know you really opened my eyes to a lot of things and you likewise man and you've been able to make me think bigger and i think the day we sat down and the day you brought me to copenhagen to speak at mad really helped me find me again and i can't thank you enough for that I that was an incredibly brave gesture on your part to throw caution to the wind and talk about these things that nobody wants to discuss, whether it was why you were on TV, how you felt the people in your community had sort of written you off because you were on TV, the physical toll it had taken on you. Like that was that was a hugely meaningful moment for for me too, and I don't know if people like realize it enough. Like I, I don't see a lot of people who were in your position where I think everyone looked at, oh, like Cosentino's on TV, he's got it made, he's a sellout, he's on Food Network. I, I don't think a lot of people in your position would have the sort of bravery to 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 risk all of that and say this is the truth about this stuff and i i i don't want to like dwell on the moment too much but i remember a hugely and you can i know you say you don't edit this but you can edit this out if you want but i remember like a a really meaningful moment during that mad was you know like you and 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 daniel patterson you know had not seen eye to eye for a long time like you guys just didn't like each other at all and <clears throat> I remember us being backstage after you you finished your talk and you know Daniel coming up to you and 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 being like I didn't know you felt that way and you guys having a hug and and like you know I I know that that like that doesn't <laughs> fix a relationship and and who knows where you guys have come since then but like in that moment it was like hugely impactful to me in that it showed me how powerful it is to be open and honest about something. I think that was, I mean, for me that, and Daniel and I are fine, you know, it's, I think that moment, that time, ironically, I ended up seeing it the other day. I've been, but like the friendships that were made on that trip, the people that I got to meet, the experience from that coming away from that, you know, Paul Cunningham, you know, reconnecting with Pierre Kaufman. Um, it really allowed me to realize where I am as a person, but also who I was. And you basically allowed me to take my life back as me and be comfortable in my own skin where at a point where I wasn't. It was a really awkward, not fun place <laughs> to be. And yeah. standing in front of all those folks, which... I think I I think I drank a six pack on yeah. stage that day. That was a pretty that was a pretty intimidating crowd as a, as a chef to stand in front of. But um, but then I mean we had fun. We had a great you know five days and we it was cool. And I think there's so much more right now in this city that this city has to offer that you have to offer this city. And I think that you know San Francisco is lucky to have you. And I'm you know you better not leave because I'm gonna chain your ankle to the fucking. <laughs> parking meter out in front of your house all right all right all right but i think it's i think it's a time that's changed and i think you know you know how to communicate the importance of what we do in this industry in a way that doesn't come off condescending spiteful 
and shitty, it comes off as, you know, we do care in this business. We do care about our guests. We do care about our staff and we want to make people smile. And yeah. I think people appreciate that about, about anybody, right? Just not being shitty. Just like, don't be shitty. Just don't be shitty. It's not hard. Just yeah. be nice. Say hello. You know? And if you don't like somebody, don't fucking say anything. Keep your mouth shut. It's not like your daughter watch Yo Gabba Gabba. <laughs> Right. Not she hasn't watched it yet, but yeah, I it's, know what you're talking about. Like they tell you all the lessons. So everybody yeah. out there, if you if you're a bad like go home and watch Yo Gabba Gabba and learn all the life lessons you need as an adult. Like one, which all chefs should listen to, is the song where they sing Keep Your Hands to Yourself. <laughs> it's a pretty easy one. Yeah, Don't no, bite your friends, keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> it's a pretty straightforward <laughs> conversation. Not hard. And then there's like how to be nice, how to ask for help. It's life. All that stuff was real, man. All that stuff that we were supposed to, that, that we laughed off when we were four years old. That's yeah. All, it's all, it's it's all, all relevant. coming back now, yeah. It's all relevant. Well, Chris, I know you've got a busy day. I know you've got daughty, daughter day. It's good. Yeah, day. I got I to gotta go become an adult again. Yes, so finish eating your greens. Okay, couple couple quick things. Sushi for you. Do you like nigiri or sashimi? I like nigiri because uh, look at me, man. I I, I love rice <laughs> so much. Red or white wine? Uh, I'm I'm either a a a dark white or a light red. red. Okay, beer or tequila? Tequila every time. Okay, uni or caviar? put them together man uh <laughs> shit i think that like i i'm supposed to be an uni guy but damn if i don't love some caviar okay a hot dog or a hamburger i'm gonna say hot dog but only because i more frequently run into a burger i don't like than i run into a hot dog i don't like if that makes sense that makes sense Cheese or pepperoni? I'm a I'm a as lactose intolerant as I am. I'm oh. a I'm a cheese man. I don't I don't I just don't get down on the pepperoni for some reason. Really? I don't know. I don't know what it is. The pepperoni doesn't do it for me. Wow. I just, I don't know. It's sick. It's sick. But I don't I don't I just don't get down with the pepperoni. Wow. What is it about pepperoni that's so good? <laughs> I don't understand. Like for somebody like you who who sir who has served salumi for many 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 years, like I don't think that you like just serve you you serve pepperoni on your like salumi board, right? Not no. generally. No. So why would you put it on your pizza? Um, I don't. But but it is what's readily available when you go out. Yeah. Well, nowadays you can get all kinds of stuff on your pizza. I know. I'm a bocaronis guy. You're a bucaron. I like that one. <laughs> Country ham or iberico. Oof. I think I think just out of out of national pride, I think country ham. Nice. I think. Awesome. So we got a lot look uh, we got a lot to look forward to from you and uh I'm really excited for what's coming up. Yeah, likewise, man. Thanks for inviting me on to this. Happy to have you. Thanks, dude.